Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Okie dokie. Last episode, I talked a bit about the nervous system. I've talked about the nervous system in many episodes. So before you listen to this episode, highly encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episode or even any previous episodes on the nervous system. Because what I'm going to talk about today is directly kind of correlated to that baseline or that like foundation of science for this. Okay. So the nervous system. You basically have two sides of it. And then in between is what we call your window of tolerance, your happy zone. You might go up or you might go down. It's not good nor bad. It's created for you to survive. Basically, it saves you when you are um, stressed out. It puts you in a state of like reactivity. And then when you come out of that stressed out state, you go back into that like equilibrium. The problem is we we are... um, not really experiencing acute stress anymore. We are experiencing chronic stress. And that's kind of the difference between us and like mammals, not just mammals, but animals. Uh, When they experience something threatening, like their life is at stake, like a zebra escaping a lion, they go into this acute state of stress and their nervous system reacts and it sends them up or maybe even down. Hopefully it sends them up so they can escape. If it sends them down, they might freeze, fawn and die, (laughs) get eaten. But um, the thing that that is, they are experiencing acute stress, a short period of of stress. And then once this moment is over and they are safe, come out of that back into that window of tolerance. Us, adults, humans, present day society, we aren't really experiencing those microdoses of stress. We are experiencing those microdoses of stress on and over and over and over and over again, or they're just not we're not coming back into that state of equilibrium. We're not coming back into that window of tolerance. So that's kind of the difference between how we developed eons ago and animals and, and us and how we're the same and we're different and why all this matters. The system was developed for acute stress, but we are experiencing chronic stress. So we're disrupting the system because it's it's animals. They, they, they really like gracefully fluctuate between these like, sympathetic, parasympathetic states of the nervous system. And when we think about how they get out of them, it's typically like movement. Like, uh, so so to go back to the zebra, the zebra escapes, let's say a lion and they, they, um, they're not going to stay and fight. They're going to flee. <laughs> they're going to flight. Their nervous system becomes dysregulated. 
they take off, they escape. Yeah, yeah, woohoo. Uh, so they have escaped, but their nervous system is still dysregulated. Like it doesn't just automatically go back to, to, to neutral. So what do they do? They shake their body. They like literally shake their skin. It might even look like they're trembling. Like, you know how we as humans might like tremble in fear. They're not actually trembling. They're just regulating. They shake their skin to regulate. That gets them back into this equilibrium, state of equilibrium. So it's like a natural body biological reaction that they use to uh, get back to neutral. Some animals will like similar to like, like walking or like jogging or running like that rhythmic, like back and forth. That's rhythm is regulating. So they, they do all these things to kind of naturally get back to, to that state of equilibrium. I mean, if you, if you like watch animal shows, you, and you pay attention really closely, you, you probably will see some of the things that they do to regulate. We can kind of mimic some of those things as adults and we can use them to both react to being dysregulated or we can put them in place in our lives to prevent ourselves from even becoming dysregulated. So that's what I want to talk about today. There are five daily movement practices from Aaron Alexander's work. I love Aaron Alexander. He wrote the book, The Aligned Method, and he talks about these like daily five, five things that you can do every day that do not take much time that kind of put your body in this op optimal state of functioning. And what it's really doing is it's keeping your nervous system settled and it's preventing you from leaving your window of tolerance or like happy zone in your nervous system. So what are the five practices? And then we'll kind of go into each one. Spend 30 minutes a day on the ground, like not rolling around in the mud, but sit on the floor. Like we sit in these 90, 90, 90 degree positions every day in a chair at a computer, in a chair at the table, in a dual or bench at the gym, like all the workout machines in those 90, 90, 90 degree positions, get yourself on the floor. Why? Because the closer your feet are to your heart, the better your blood circulates. The more your blood circulates and the better it circulates, the better all the functions in your body work. If your blood flow is kind of stagnant, you get a little tired or irritable, or you're much more likely to, to leave that nervous system happy zone. So number one, 30 minutes on the ground. Number two, hang. For a total of 90 seconds to potentially like three minutes. I mean, probably the, the, the better, the longer, the, the better, the more, the longer, the better. <laughs> that makes sense. 90 seconds isn't very low. So what do you mean hang? Well, what if I know something to hang from? I mean, hanging is with like hands, arms above your head. So like hanging from a tree, hang. And when I say hanging from a tree, be very mindful and careful that the branch is like a sturdy enough branch to hold your weight. But hanging from a tree, hanging from monkey bars, hanging from like a pull-up bar, if you don't have access to any of those things, you can kind of like recreate it without hanging. Like think about um, a downward dog or a child's pose in yoga. Both of those involve having your head between your arms and your arms above your head. So maybe not quite as effective as hanging because it's not really like stretching out those muscles in your back, but it's the next best thing. I'm trying to think what else you could hang on from in, inside your house. Probably not anything else that's like really sturdy. Like a door frame is probably not the best idea. Um, pretty hard to hold on to. And I can't really think of anything else that you might be able to hang from. Like, like clothing racks and things like that wouldn't be safe because they wouldn't be strong enough. So I think that's either you're going to have to set something up or go to the gym or do a downward dog or child's pose. So why are we doing this? It's, it's really kind of like stretching out 
and releasing the tension in your upper back from being hunched over from looking down at a device. Like all of those things cause the back muscles to become really tight. This corrects that. That's number two. Number three, hinge your hips. Hinge your hips. Bend over. I know we do that every now and then, but even like squatting, um, where your hips are bending or you're like squatting down, like both together, where you're like, we everything's just like at our waist height, like kitchen counter, um, bathroom counters, um, kitchen table, cabinets, like nothing is like beneath us. Like there's not a lot that is required for you to like bend down to get. Like maybe if you have like vanities or something and you're bending down to get into a drawer cabinet a little bit there, but we usually put everything at like waist height, put things on the floor, get down on the floor, like <laughs> crawl around with kids. Like one of the best things that has happened to me in having kids is I spend a huge chunk of my day on the ground and on the floor. And that helps with hip hinging to pick him up or to get things off the floor. That helps with spending time on the ground. That helps with like getting my arms above my head. <laughs> so lots of benefits there, but it, it opens up your hips. Like they get tight because we don't move them. We just sit in a chair all day. When you bend and you squat, those things really get get everything moving and, and in a good way because we want things to move and to circulate. The more you circulate, the, the more things move through your body, the better you feel and the better your health is. That's number three. Number four, breathe almost entirely through your nose. This is so hard. I mean, definitely at night, they even have things called like uh, mouth tape that you can sleep tape, like you can put uh, over your mouth so that you, forces you to breathe out of your nose. Now there are some exceptions to this. If you have like a medical condition where you're not able to do this, you definitely don't want to do that. Or you want to consult a doctor first. But ideally we're trying to sleep with our mouth closed and throughout the day breathe with our nose. When I remember reading about, maybe it was in Aaron Alexander's book, or maybe it was in the book Breath by James Nestor. Breathe. Breathe or breath. Uh, it's research, James Nestor will come up. But I read it somewhere about like Native Americans, when babies would sleep with their mouth open as an infant, they would push the jaw upward to close the mouth and they would hold it until the child started breathing through their nose and, and kept their mouth shut. And they would train, they were they were sleep training the, the mouth and the nose. They were training the baby's body to breathe through the nose when it slept. So that's a practice I adopted with my own child. When I saw him with his mouth open, I would just very carefully while he was sleeping, lift up his jaw to close his mouth and he would start breathing out his nose. And then when I would let go, his jaw would stay closed, his mouth would stay closed and he would breathe out his nose. Now as a baby, he only ever breathes out of his mouth when he's sick. That said, that's like nighttime, daytime. This is really hard to think about. So you might want to put up like environmental reminders or hey, depending when you're out, you could put some tape over your mouth during the day. But I try and do it the most when I'm um, actively like moving my body or working out is just really focusing on breathing through my nose. I mean, at worst, breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. Best if you can breathe in through your nose, out through your nose. But this practice of uh, like slower, methodical breathing, big, deep breaths in, breathing out your nose, huge, huge, huge benefits. Okay. That's number four. Let's talk about number five. More excuses for walking. Take a walk every day. I mean, there's so many benefits to walking, especially outside. You have outside, you've got like potentially nature. You've got the rhythm. Rhythm is regulating. So walking each day. I mean, you could even integrate this pretty naturally. Like I typically, and I've 
start doing this a tiny little bit less with the baby because I'm always carrying him in to the stores, but I will typically park far away, like way, 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 way down and walk up to the, the restaurant, the grocery store, the store, because it requires me to walk more. Now, again, with the baby, I do it a little bit less because I'm carrying him and he's getting a little heavy, but I used to be really intentional about doing that. I also would take the stairs over the elevator all the time. So just doing little things like that, that require you to walk more or set a timer or get a jog, <laughs> go out first thing in the morning. Like one of the rhythms that we've created in this home is first thing in the morning, no matter how cold it is by like seven, eight o'clock, we are out for a walk and usually walking for about 30 to 60 minutes. Whew. All right. Let's review those. Spend 30 minutes on the ground each day. Doesn't need to be outside, just sitting on the ground. Hang your arms above your head for 90 seconds. Even longer might be better, is better. Hip hinge and um, breathe through your nose and take more walks. One, two, three, four, five. Those are the five things we're trying to do daily. They help to optimize your health, keep your nervous system in check. All really, really good really healthy, really good practices to integrate that we've kind of gotten away from as society evolved. All right. One thing I would encourage you to do when you are doing those walks is to consider the power of a panoramic view. So a panoramic view will help you to get back into your window of tolerance, that neutralized state of your nervous system. So when you're taking a walk, yes, we might need to like look at our feet a little bit to make sure that we're not tripping or falling, but try and look up and try and look far out. If you look far out, like I'm in Arizona. So I look at the mountains, that panoramic view of like the horizon or anywhere that's kind of looking far out, uh, that's going to kind of reset your nervous system. So a good practice where you can like double dip, walk and panoramic view to reset you. If nothing else, uh, you could put some panoramic views in your space, like images, posters, tapestries um, of something in the district, of something in the distance, like mountains or ocean or whatever it is that would have like out on the horizon that can not give you the, the full effect of being outside and doing this because you don't get the fresh air, but it will like have your brain still orient in that reset. And don't forget to breathe through your nose while you're doing all of this. <laughs> okay. I think about all of these things. I think about these like bending and hinging and arms above head. These are all things, again, if you go back and you watch those nature shows, these are all things that like animals do. <laughs> Like think about like a lion when they're like in a sleepy, groggy state and they're getting like, they put their arms out in front of them and like, they almost do like a downward dog. Like they stretch it out. It's pretty normal. Like they do it to regulate. They do like, do it to wake up. They do it to get their blood circulating through their systems. So I, I think about how interesting this is that there are all of these like stress management practices, nervous system regulation practices that animals and even kids, kids do these things because they haven't learned to be distracted by society yet, or maybe they have. But they do these things naturally as biological acts. We lose them as adults. And then we go back and we pay as adults to <laughs> have these things in place or had to have someone teach us or to be reactive to not having them in, in our life. So do some things for more preventative work. Follow Aaron Alexander, read his book called Aligned Method, and it'll all be great. You'll start to see little improvements over and over and over again in your life and your body. Mm -hmm. 
that takes us to two days listener question, which I want to talk about because this is a hard thing if you're not trained in it. One of the things I was trained to do as an early childhood mental health support was to know what the signs of childhood abuse look like, especially like childhood sexual abuse. So I want to go through these signs and talk about what they look like and talk about kind of recognizing when a behavior is abnormal, we need to really think about, should this be reported? Do we need to talk to people? Do we need to pay more attention? Do we need to document? When a child's behavior really changes, like when they've regressed in, in something with behavior or a skill, like significantly, or their behaviors are they erratic. Like I remember there was a, a kiddo I was observing in Head Start and when something would happen in the room that would trigger her, it was like a flip of a switch. And sometimes a literal light switch flip off would set her off. So she would, you could see her whole body get really tight and tense and she would start to yell and scream and she would climb up on stuff and jump off of stuff and she would push stuff over and she would like kind of claw and scratch at people and she would just go into destruction. That is not a normal behavior for a three, four, insert whatever age year old, really not for anyone. So to me, when I saw that erratic behavior, I'm like, okay, something is going on there. Something's not right. And if it just happened one time, it's like, okay, maybe something... Maybe she's under a lot of stress this day, but I, it was a pattern. It kept happening over and over and over again. So that's where I'm like, okay, not maybe enough evidence to report child abuse yet, but I am going to start to dig a bit more. I'm going to encourage, you know, the, the, this program to talk to the family and get, you know, build a relationship with them, ask kind of what's going on, not accuse them, not attack them, build a relationship, inquire for more information, try and support them and see if you can get to the bottom of it. And in doing so they did. And it was then shared that at the time the mother had a partner or I guess ex-partner and that partner had an older son and the older son was abusing this child. So, you know, all of it was connected and all of it was so obvious to me as someone who had this kind of almost like lens. Like I put these, like this lens on that helps me to see like, this is not normal. This, this, needs to be either reported or this needs to be kind of flushed out a bit more. Or this needs to be inquired about. Okay. So erratic behavior, regression of skills, oversleeping. Like when a child's nervous system is really dysregulated and they're trying to re-regulate, sometimes they'll oversleep from being so internally exhausted. If they start doing things that are not appropriate, like touching private parts, touching your private parts, using stuffed animals or Barbies or things and touching their private parts and, and just like unusual um, behaviors within like the private parts area. At some point in a young child's life, like they might find private part exploration kind of like funny, but there's a point where you see it too much or too uh, like it was a, it's a developmental stage and they should have grown out of it. Or, uh, it's, it's just trust your intuition. Like when I have noticed these things, I'm like, something feels wrong about this. Something does not feel developmental, does not look developmental. It's happening too regularly. It's happening too much. It's the way they're doing it. Like it's just red flags are going off. You also see like maybe increased activity or like overstimulation, like almost like they're kind of wound up. You might see eating changes, sleeping changes, hygiene changes, like bedwetting is a big one. 
that what like if a child's potty trained and they regress now it's normal for a child sometimes to regress and they can regress from just life stress or familial stress but if you see a pretty big regression or a fast regression or, or you know not an improvement from the regression that could be a sign of abuse acting like a younger child like again that kind of regression of of skills and and acting like a, a baby or a younger child and especially if they become disassociative like if we're not socially engaged they're not socially engaged, especially if they were at one time, that's a sign for concern for me. So these are all things to look out for when we're talking about childhood sexual abuse or just childhood abuse in general. Like if, if things rapidly change or there's something that keeps happening, that's abnormal. My, my spidey sense is like, mm, something's not right there. Um, it might need to be reported to child and youth, child protective services. It might need to be reported to an educator, adult, a medical field, a doctor, a pediatrician, behavioral health, uh, or, um, it might need to just go to the next step, which could be talking to the family system, but only I would recommend if you're a professional and you know how to have that conversation because you have to tread lightly and we should never jump in and abuse anyone of anything because we don't have the answers. We just have concern and there's a right and wrong way to do that or to address that without, mm, making someone defensive. And if we just jump into a conversation and it isn't appropriate or isn't tackled appropriately, it could cause further damage or harm to the child. So being really, really mindful about what that looks like, how it looks, and making sure that we're using our resources to, to have that conversation. That takes us to wrapping up the show and our try to home tip. I want to talk a little bit about a nervous system tactic that I, for a while in my life, thought was a really great kind of reset. And it was cold plunging, like literally getting into a, a bucket of water with ice in it. And there's all this research, quote unquote, all this research. Most of the research is done with men. And what we're learning is that cold plunging for men, yeah, it's a decent reset practice. Not great for women. It's actually a hormonal disruptor and causes your body to increase its cortisol, which it does in men too, but they are able seemingly to recover faster and can handle higher levels of cortisol. Whereas in a woman's system that is designed more for like rest and digest type of things, uh, it can be a total disruptor. So I, what I've learned is that this practice isn't all bad for women. It's not a bad thing to practice when you are in, I believe it's your follicular state of your menstrual cycle. So like the five to seven days after your menstrual cycle, if you're going to cold plunge or cold shower, best to do it five to seven days after your menstrual cycle or not at all. A better practice might be something like a sauna, which I really love <laughs> or um, like meditation or a hot bath. Like those are all things that are better for women as like a, a nervous system reset versus a cold plunge. Okay, Yogi, that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Don't forget our try at home tip. And don't forget to kind of dig into a little bit more signs of childhood abuse if you happen to work in that field or if you are concerned and make sure you talk to the right people and you really think about who, needs, who does this need to be reported to and how does this conversation need to happen and, and doing so the right way so that things don't get worse if there is abuse happening in, in the home, the school, wherever it may be happening. If you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior of the brain, or even in, in that area, I would love to be a part of this, of this journey of 
developing and betterment and understanding. So I developed the behavior hub to work with families, also to work with schools around coaching and training people how to move through these things, work through these things, recognize these things, have these conversations. So reach out to me through the behavior hub or feel free to send that contact or that website to anyone who is in need. And I would love to just have a conversation. Like, is this an aligned fit? Does this work? Am I, can, can I help you? And if I can't, I'll send you to maybe someone that can. Uh, that would be a better fit. Or you can text me at 717-693-7744. And if you are looking for some of this like trauma-informed support, burnout, prevention, workplace, like culture, go to Five Ives, F-I-V-E-I-V-E-S. It's an organization I developed with a partner named Jessica Doring, also has a trauma background, and we do programming, coaching, and certify organizations as trauma-informed, brain-based to use these practices and to kind of overhaul how things in, in the organization as a whole are happening. And don't forget to lock in what you learned by taking some time to pause and reflect on what we talked about today, taking some time to think about how can you integrate it into your life and maybe sharing it with someone else so that your brain doesn't forget it. Until next episode, I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer. Thanks for joining me.